Welcome to the Mic Drop Podcast, Episode 3, Preparing for a Rehearsal. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mic Drop Podcast. My name is Mike Truesdell, and I'm joined by everyone's favorite Mike, Mike C. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm loving how you're handling this intro. The intro, I think we need to uh, we need to keep working on it, but uh, just you know, radio DJ. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about how to prepare for that today. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, you know, I, I think we should come up with some kind of slogan like um, the podcast where it's only about tangents. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> no need uh, to brainstorm. <laughs> no need to brainstorm. We've got it on the first try. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited for today. We're going to be talking about the um, uh, preparation. And ever since I was a, a young kid, I was, um, I don't know, terrified of not being prepared. So this has been a big part of my life. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I think so. I think preparation's probably been a little bit different for me. I'm probably less prepared for musical things than other things, which is why I'm happy to exist in your jet stream on this. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about preparing for rehearsals, right? And yep. last time we talked about summer and you started with the question, what is summer? Yes. So maybe today we could start with the question, what is a rehearsal or what kind of rehearsal are we going to talk about uh, preparing for? Yeah, I don't know, because I feel like, uh, you know, in those um, those like productivity podcasts or the productivity books, um, they talk about when you when you want to write a book or if you want to uh basically do anything you have to make an appointment with yourself and mm -hmm. keep stick to it the way that you stick to an appointment with another person i mean sometimes the rehearsal that we're talking about is actually just a practice session um you know yeah. and like you you want to treat that practice session like a rehearsal with another person and be accountable to yourself uh so i i think that's okay and then uh all the way through, you know, like having a dual rehearsal or a quartet rehearsal and then uh, the the large ensemble rehearsals. And, you know, there's I, I don't think it should be too much different for a student versus a professional, but maybe we can get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, let's do it. So I know we both came to this with our own material and full disclosure my material is shamelessly ripped from yours so <laughs> really? uh, did we talk about this before uh, uh well i i remember you giving an, a nice class when i was teaching in kansas about the value of being prepared for something I see. and then i remember we both talked about contextualizing things in terms of before during and after yeah, which is a nice way to exist in the world. It works for <laughs> things like Halloween, um, <laughs> Labor Day, any right. any kind of holiday. So maybe today we could. Um, I don't know how how you want to handle this. Should we alternate? Do you want to oh. give me your? I know you have a a, a mind node, a mind map about I, this, and I have a list. Okay. Yeah, I I, I like both. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, I like to start with the like, what's the point or why question? Like, why are we even tackling this? So here's the here's the what the the question, like, what's the point of preparing for rehearsal? 
Like, why would we even want to talk about this? Right? So for me, I, I was thinking, uh, I know enough people who can sight read well enough that they actually don't need to uh, prepare for a rehearsal in the way that most people need to prepare for a rehearsal, uh, which is sometimes very frustrating that, mm -hmm. okay, well, here's, I, here's my colleague who's standing next to me, and I worked for four hours to try to learn these notes, and they didn't work at all. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Or they may have a simpler part than I do that doesn't require as much work. Um, yeah. So, but I think no matter who you are, that, uh, you know, preparing for rehearsal, number one, it, it's uh, you're showing respect for the music and the ensemble and the time uh, that it takes to put this together. And, um, you know, in, in a certain case, you want to make sure that you're not going to be stepping in any holes, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. wasting anybody's time, wasting any any money in, in a professional setting. Uh, mm. but for me, I, I, if as a surely like a selfish way, I just want to show up with confidence because yeah. performing music is so scary for a lot of people and getting on stage and doing that. But so if you, uh, if you show up to that first rehearsal, <clears throat> sorry, and you've looked through, uh, everything and you've made all these decisions, then you can show up with some confidence. Oh, should I say something if I agree with you? If, do you agree? What's the format of this class? <laughs> Is this a lecture? No, uh, I agree. I... I, I agree. I agree. It's, um, uh, I think what you said resonates because we all have different um, preparation strategies. It, it varies for people. It varies on what kind of context you're in. Um, I, as we're going to talk about, I interviewed a bunch of people who exist as musicians in a bunch of different contexts, people who play in orchestras, people who are soloists, people who are chamber musicians, and they all have their own kind of house style. And I think even in the same kind of domain, we have our own style, but I totally agree with you. Um, there's something important about showing up to something, feeling like you're ready to go. Like you can, you have a mastery of the topic. You can speak to different aspects of it. You can answer questions about it. You can sort of turn things around and you can change it. Um, that has a personal value because your clothes are going to be less covered in sweat all the time. But it also has a professional value. I mean, we exist in a world of networking. And if you show up to 20 rehearsals and, and you're fumbling around and, and going, um, I can't do this, on the one hand, you might ne never do that job again. And on the other hand, um, you're wasting a lot of money. For, yeah. for people. And even if you're in school, you're sort of wasting your, your, your colleagues time. So, um, that's a long way of saying, uh, I agree. And I would tack onto that, that if you're a student, there's ne never a better time to practice preparing for something when you're in school, because the penalty for swinging and missing is actually quite low compared to the professional world. So you might as yeah. well, uh, prepare for that percussion quartet rehearsal or that solo practice session, like you said, um, as, as hard as you can, because then you'll develop the habit of doing it and you'll develop the system of doing it in a way that really works for you. I know when I started, I had teachers that told me how to prepare music and it was really how they prepare music. And I tried it and it, you know, it didn't really work for me or it felt maybe this thing, oh, that person's really good at sight reading. So they don't have to do step, step X or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So with that in mind, um, what's, what's next on your, on your mind note? So we started with what is a rehearsal? What's the point of rehearsing? <laughs> Are we having rehearsal right now? I think we 
are. It feels like it feels like the preparation that we do is similar to the preparation for a rehearsal. And, and I would imagine that people in a business setting are it's the same thing with meetings. I think so. Yeah. Right. Like you could have people who um, who show up to a meeting without any prep at all. And sometimes they're they're great because they can throw an idea out that nobody's ever thought of. But when you're trying to like the point of rehearsal isn't to execute the part all the way through right now. The point mm -hmm. is to like come up with this somewhat cohesive understanding of how this piece goes. And that inherently is a negotiation. Mm -hmm. So you have mm -hmm. to be so prepared for something that you can be flexible about it. That's not sight reading. No, That's totally. Skill. Totally. But I would say that people that, that like you described that show up and just sight read, there's an enormous amount of preparation that goes into that. Um, Sometimes, that ability, yeah. uh, the ability to sight read, it's, yeah. it's a muscle. It's not a, it's not a talent. So when someone can show up and just sight read or show up and speak off the cuff at a meeting, it kind of speaks to their previous work, mastering something, I think, sure. um, uh, you know, people that can speak extemporaneously about a topic generally know a lot about that topic. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think the kind of preparation I'm doing for this is the same as uh for for uh, a big a big name orchestra rehearsal i hope we'll see oh yeah um so do you want to start about like what happens like pre uh like pre-rehearsal yes um, one of the one of the things that stuck out to me was our mutual friend and colleague andy bliss from University mm -hmm. of Tennessee, once per put preparation in perspective of a football field, mm -hmm. and uh, let's say that like com you know complete uh, uh, understanding of everything and like performance ready or whatever is like the touchdown, like mm. it's the zero yard line on the opposite side. It's a hundred yards away, and uh, you know. One of the things is like to use the lines as uh, the yardage lines as mile markers. And so I, I always thought like you should be about at the 50 yard line by the first rehearsal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that it's a lot of work um, to be ready for that first rehearsal. And mm -hmm. um, so what, what does it mean for you? Well, I'm thinking right now I should have made a mind map instead of a list. So uh, oh, starting like from, from, from zero. So, I mean, for, for me, I'm kind of separating, well, I, I'm, for me, being prepared means at a rehearsal, uh, I'm able to go through the whole piece without stopping, uh, whatever yeah. that means. Um, unless the goal of the ensemble is to learn the piece together, of course. Um, another thing that I'm, I'm hoping I can do is to have an opinion about the piece an opinion about mm. what I would like to do with it. And that opinion is informed by a whole bunch of other stuff we can talk about. Yeah. I would like to not make any mistakes. Um, if I had to prioritize, I wouldn't, I would try not to make a mistake in where I play. Mm. Um, I would love to have all the, lo the logistics of my part figured out. I know we talk about logistics a lot, but for me, that means stuff like page turns, even with an iPad um, mm. for us, like where are, are our sticks and mallets? We don't have to have a final decision, but at least sort of, am I going to change them? How am I going to figure that out? And then lastly, I, I would love to 
to have a really strong sense of the music. Um, so I would love to be able to uh, have done some analysis of the music. And I would break up the analysis into sort of, okay, analysis for analysis sake, uh, where I'm getting to know this piece of music, I'm getting to know the composer, I'm getting to know a whole bunch of other stuff, which is valuable, because you're probably going to play another piece by this person in the future. And then there's the kind of analysis that I would call like study for the rehearsal, um, yeah. where you're, you're really focused on the, the nitty gritty of what do I need to be able to do to play this piece. So that's what getting to the I guess the 50 yard line uh, means for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I, I, I love the, 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 uh, just to break it down for somebody, if, if they're following along at home is uh, you envisioned what you want to feel like and how you want to act and how, how you want to play in that rehearsal. And usually that first rehearsal is pretty critical to the success of the concert yeah. Um, so uh, I, I love the idea of like envisioning what you want to feel like in that rehearsal and then essentially reverse engineering that and saying, OK, what is it going to take for me to play all the way through without stopping? Or what's it going to take for me to uh, to not make too many mistakes? And yeah, breaking down the logistics. Uh, I, I love that idea. But starting mm -hmm. with the goal in mind um, makes a ton of sense. I have a, a couple other things that are maybe too basic for us to even say, but I'll just say them because mm -hmm. I have to. Uh, mm -hmm. It's required by New York state law, I think. Um, so like from a, from a gigging musician standpoint, a lot of my thoughts come from, from that time when I was living in New York city and, and basically my entire life was just playing gigs. Uh, but the, I think the first order of business is put the dates in your calendar um, you know, there's like a lot of like pre practicing stuff, like pre practicing, very important things, put the dates in the calendar, make sure they're, you know, triple cor uh, correct, um, uh, the acquiring the music, like are, are there different editions of whatever music have you been given an edition? Uh, is the score available? Go find it from the library. Um, if there's a study score or something, and then, um, marking in things from that score which we'll get to later but mm -hmm. uh that's a really important thing like even before you start practicing um that can really help make your practicing much more efficient and, and concise and then yeah like i said uh like you were saying mike the the logistics are really important so i try to make my part before before anything and i make decisions about uh, cutouts and extra pages and, um, where the page turn is going to happen. Like you were saying, uh, if there's any pre-existing material, like if there's mm -hmm. a note from the composer or if there's a YouTube video from the publisher or something, I, I want to check those things out because sometimes the answer to a question could be hidden in the background of like a composer interview from 2004 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, other logistics things are like, where are the instruments coming from? And, uh, whether you're in a school, like I know ASU and I know Ithaca college, like we have a boatload of marimbas and we have a boatload of xylophones. And if you've got a part for xylophone, like which one do you take to the rehearsal? 
Mm-hmm. Is it is it like do you need the uh, an extended range instrument? Do you need an instrument that sounds a certain way? These are like, you know, are there space concerns at the venue? Those mm. are things that I want to take into consideration because if I spend uh, 15 hours practicing on a xylophone and then I realize, oh, well, that's not the xylophone I'm going to use, then it's not the most efficient use of my practice. And now I have to adapt in the rehearsal. I may make those mistakes and I may not sound as good. Mm-hmm. So I think ch- taking care of a lot of the logistic things, like you were saying, um, even at the basic level can help you uh, be successful in that first rehearsal. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, you know, common sense is not so common and those (laughs) basic things I think are really important. They reduce the stress, uh, in your life. I love the idea of writing down when you're supposed to be at rehearsal. Um, I mean, how many times have you gotten there and, uh, uh, you've realized, Oh, I missed it. You know, like for, for me, the, uh, or it's, it's tomorrow, um, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite things of my whole life is, I, you know, I've been working my whole life to be a, a music teacher and I've always loved that idea. And I got my first teaching opportunity at Rutgers University and, uh, you know, like stayed up late the night before and laid out my clothes and packed a suitcase and I was super efficient about it. And then um, I, you know, had planned out the, my method of getting there and I was waiting by the one train at Lincoln Center and uh Look, just double checked the schedule and realized that I wasn't teaching at noon. I was teaching at nine, oh. and uh, I was like, you know, whatever it was thirty minutes away from my first lesson, and I was about an hour and change away from Rutgers University. Great. So my my f- a whole life had been leading up to like college teaching, and I finally got this opportunity, and I missed my first lesson. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Well, experience is the best teacher, right? That's right. <laughs> Probably yep. never going to do, never going to do that again. I feel the same about the first time I ate a piece of wasabi without <laughs> knowing what it was. It's a great life lesson. I'm not, I'm not creating equivalents, but I sort of yeah. am. It um, looks like guac. It's not guac. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think the rest of the stuff you said really, really resonates as well. I mean, I, I think we talked about this or we are going to talk about this or I want to talk about this. I'm just going to say <laughs> I want to talk about this. But a lot of the the stuff that you said about choosing the instrument, making decisions um, for me comes to getting to know the, the piece of music. You know, if you're mm. if you're going to play a piece from a certain era, it's helpful to know kind of what instruments people used then, even if you yeah. don't want to use that kind of instrument or what was the sound maybe the composer was looking for? Was it written for somebody that had a really particular way of playing? Uh, was yeah. it really common to have this kind of thing? And that way, when you're going through the part, you're studying your part or your, um, your marking in your part, some of the markings could make more sense. I mean, the classic example uh, we all talk about is note durations in timpani parts. Sure. Right. They're quarter notes. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Or symbols. <laughs> Right. Or symbols. Yeah. I don't think that's a quarter note. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I think, and just sort of having a, an awareness, a basic awareness of, of the expectation. And that kind of comes from what the instruments in the 19th or 18th century would have been like. So I think those kind of things, uh, for, for someone like me, as I'm getting to know the piece of music, uh, I like to do that before I start practicing my part because it will inform what I do for the part. You know, if oh, it sure. says this, play this instrument, and then I'm listening 
listening to a recording and it nobody is playing that instrument right it might raise some questions <laughs> about what to do you know sure. or if there's something in the music that's that is confusing or impossible i know we talked on a previous episode uh about uh being able to solve problems on your own but if something's yeah. impossible it might be helpful to know what 99.9 percent of people have done uh, yeah in this moment you know there's a classic <laughs> example at the end of Zanakis's safa where he says like you're playing super duper loud and he says every note should rebound three or four times which yep is generally not very loud, especially if you're playing on planks of wood or boot bams or um, tire irons or like <laughs> fence posts or something. So you have to do something. Yeah. And sometimes that something is uh, a lot of people have done that something. So I totally I totally agree with you um, to, to try to get that stuff sussed out. And I think yeah. we both agree that uh, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> preparing your part by that i mean the physical preparation of your part yes um is is a big part of this getting ready for the rehearsal sort of like what yep. you are doing to your music and sometimes that means memorizing the music you yep. know I, I played a concerto with with this group the percussion collective a few years ago and for our first performance we said we were going to have the piece memorized hmm. and so the rehearsal preparation i would say 80 percent of it for me was trying to memorize this piece yeah of music and so uh i totally agree i gr agree with you so yeah what's and the oh sorry so, go so, ahead. and something else just to add on to you know the, your discussion of the the safa conundrum um i mean that this has happened a lot where we have somebody who uh who writes something that's fantastic but maybe difficult or maybe doesn't look exactly uh on the on the notation like how we're going to realize it so mm -hmm. um a lot of times we get stymied and then if you show up to the first rehearsal and you haven't solved that question uh you're definitely going to get stung on that uh yeah the uh like whatever is the thing is that you're most worried about that's what is going to happen so, yeah no no i remember <laughs> i remember playing um messians from the canyons to the stars once and i think i was yeah. playing wind machine and i remember thinking a few weeks before the first rehearsal i wonder if there's a wind machine um <laughs> and then of course like the wind machine we found was super small and i just had this feeling yeah i'm gonna get called on yeah. and the same thing happened i was playing taxi horns in american in paris and there american you go. in paris and you know i'm thinking about it i show up at the first rehearsal and horn c the third horn Mm. Not the note C, as these yep. musicologists at the University of Michigan discovered, but the third, <laughs> the third from the left horn, the bulb didn't really work. And I remember thinking, this is definitely going to be a problem. Yep. So if you haven't sussed out those things, um, and it's up to you to be proactive, you know, when, when we're lucky enough to play with our friends, that might be yeah. just texting someone and saying, oh, what are you going to use for yep. that? Or what should we do about this? section and when you're preparing to play with strangers i know this is something that that you do which is to have a whole bunch of different options and be yeah. ready to sort of go between them um, not just in implements but in musical ideas absolutely and so yeah i think that works or i think that's an idea that can work from playing with a huge group of people to playing a duo to playing a trio um, yeah. to playing in a group with a conductor or to playing in a group without a conductor yeah 
Yeah. And the first thing you come across isn't the entirety of the world. Like if you come across one solution for Safa and it's like, oh, well, this is what um, Steve Schick decided to do. And then you say, mm -hmm. well, this is how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a mistake. But if, if you listen to uh, every available recording and see every video and talk to every person and you realize that there's only one way of uh, interpreting that, then you can maybe assume that. But it almost never happens. So getting the the most amount of uh, inputs as possible for, for mm -hmm. questions, like if you're playing a Sousa march, there's a million different opinions about how that snare drum should uh, should sound and what the snare drum should look like and what sticks you should use and how does the bass drum and the cymbals interact. There's, there's a lot of different varieties of things. Or if you're playing mm -hmm. bass drum on Beethoven 9, I mean, there's we could go on and on. But mm -hmm. the so having a variety of solutions is always the the key, and that's the thing that that being a great sight reader is it going to help you with? Exactly, and actually, this is something that um, I find is actually coordinated with performance anxiety. This mm. idea of I can only do this one way. Sure, you tend to get much more nervous in a concert because if something happens, your one way doesn't work anymore you know you can't you can't uh if that road is closed you can't you can't take it so i, yeah. I would say i'm really making a mess of, of our outline right now but i would say to add on to your point yeah. um maybe our grad students can uh can collate this a little bit later <laughs> i don't know but i would say to add on to it uh, something that's important to me um and and something that i learned from from musicians that aren't percussionists is to be ready to be change anything and try anything any different way because in the rehearsal the joy is exploring yeah. different ideas so if you're ready um and if when you practice your instrument just in general you're always trying different things yeah then um i think you're you're in in i hope really good shape so what do you do yeah, like the how do we pr how do we practice for that first rehearsal, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, how yeah, do yeah. you study for it? Like, what's the what's the system? Like, how do we go through and get ready so that we don't fall on our faces in that first rehearsal and we can support the ensemble? Yes. Um, what do you do? Uh, I well, I I have. You know, the, just there's certain things that just have to happen. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you have to play the ink. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to play the ink all the way through without stopping. And if if you're not able to know how to do that as a student, like that's why we're in school and that's why you have your teacher and fellow students to help you break these things apart and learn the smaller chunks and put the chunks together. And eventually you can find content continuity in that um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah i think that's a obviously like the fundamental skill mm -hmm. um but then there's also the knowing how you fit in if you're playing with another person or with a with an ensemble so you know listening to the recordings and playing along with those recordings could be really helpful uh recording yourself playing along with recordings is also very helpful mm -hmm. so if you if you have a, something like uh, logic or uh, pro tools or something where you can drop an audio file in and then you hear it in headphones play along and then listen to yourself and realize 
you know, you may sound great when you listen back to you and the ensemble, but if you just listen back to you, is there something different? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The, uh, I think the important thing for me is like um, practicing that flexibility, like you were talking about. So mm-hmm. at a certain point, um, I want to, I want to be the conductor that I never want to have on the podium. Mm-hmm. You know, the one who just doesn't let go and will question you and uh, suggest whatever is the hardest thing. So a lot of times I'll be playing something and I'll realize, okay, what's the worst thing that a conductor could ask me to do? Mm-hmm. And let me try to do that. And then you can practice contingencies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happens if the conductor says, we need more accent, less of the non-accented notes? Okay, mm-hmm. let's do it. We need less accent. We need more of the non-accented notes. We need the uh, we need a darker sound. We need a lighter sound. Snare drum. Can those notes be longer? Uh, you know, all the things that you don't want to hear. What do we do? And then you can practice that so that you're prepped for those moments. And the practicing of the mm. contingencies, you're actually practicing flexibility, which is the maybe primary skill in a rehearsal. Hmm. If you're if you're listening, I'm uh, I'm actually taking notes right now. <laughs> uh, this is great. We have a shared doc, but I'm taking I'm taking notes. <laughs> Wonderful. No, I think the, these are great ideas. I, I guess I'm just going to assume you're done talking. Um, yeah. But my 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 preparation, and I'd be curious what you think of this. I do I do a lot of studying. Sure. Um, when I'm playing in an uh, especially chamber music, I mostly play chamber music. I really want to know what's going on. Um, so for me, um, that, that means like, I'm going to try to listen to a recording if there is one to get like a big picture idea. If not, I'll try to study the score. Um, I want to know like what the style of the piece is, Yeah, you know, like how, how, you know, what kind of costume would I be wearing if I were in a movie? Um, and then I have a whole list of stuff. Do you want to hear it? I do want to hear it. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, a lot of this I learned from my awesome duo partner, Hannah Collins, who's a cellist and cellists are, are like, as she said, they're like the catchers of a, of a chamber <laughs> music ensemble. They are doing the stuff that you don't notice, but without them, uh, it would not happen. So I really trust her preparation and I've sort of added my own gloss. So I would say like, if you're listening to a recording, it's helpful to take note of like, what, what's the structure of this piece? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, where are moments where I'm confused? Um, about what's happening so you can mark that yeah. later and then you could ask yourself some questions like what, what about stuff that could trip you up in the piece like is there a pause in the music if so is it metered or is it not um who has the main part do i have the main part um uh, what is uh where is something surprising happening does somebody have a polyrhythm um you know and and after that i would think i try to mark my part with cues if I'm playing from a part um, yeah. to make sure that I know what the other people are playing. Sometimes the act of writing it in the music actually helps me really remember it. Mm. Um, I, I play from the score a lot when it's a small group, but even so to know sort of how does my part fit in with this? Is it a hocket? Is it a unison? Am I the most important thing? Am I the least important thing? I'll also try to mark significant cues to help me with counting in orchestras I'm a terrible counter, so I will go way out of my way to make it, I mean, idiot proof 
There's yeah. no possible way I could not come in here. And right. orchestral parts are like this where it says, you know, 84 bars or tacit until That's the, the third bassoon plays this. I'm looking at you, editions, <laughs> Salabert, Durand. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I'll, I'll try to do that. And in chamber music, I'll try to mark cues that are going to help me communicate. Like sometimes it's as simple as flute, play, flute is playing. And sometimes it's as simple as, or sometimes it's more complicated. Like I'll write somebody's entire part. For me, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a danger sign if I have whole notes yep. in a piece of chamber music. It's sort of what could possibly be happening yep. in, in the rest of the music. And, and as we get into this iPad world, we can read from score much more often. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that means you actually, you kind of don't know the piece. Um, so for me, it's, it's a lot of getting to know the piece and then the act of marking my part or just sort of getting to know what's going on in the piece of music is something that's really, really, really fundamental to me so that I know, um, I'll, I'll, sometimes this happens, right? Where, well, a lot of times this happens. Somebody may play a phrase with a lot of rubato or beautifully inflect something. And if you don't know what that person is playing is supposed to be playing rhythmically. Yeah. You might just do something nuts. Yep. And, and we play percussion, which is sort of a high risk instrument, especially in an orchestra where when right. you come in, people are definitely going to notice yep. that you're playing. And so it's really helpful to, to, to get to know that. Um, so as I'm doing that, I'll make a list of stuff that needs attention, like stuff I have to practice. Do I need to develop a new technique to be able to do this? Right. Like my students last semester were playing one of Andy Akiho's seven pillars. I think it was pillar three. And at the end of this movement, you need to be able to play extremely fast double strokes on a non-bouncy wooden thing. And so <laughs> it's, it's helpful to have more than a week's notice yep. to sort of develop that technique. Or yep. if you have to play a musical saw or something. Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of try to take note of, of moments where the chamber music skill is challenging. Or maybe moments where there are, I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of times when I make a mistake, it's a logistical mistake. I'll try to change my mallets and I'll knock them off the stand. Or I'll mess up a page turn. Or mm. I'll, I'll do something like that. So th those are sort of the, the steps that I take to try to get ready for a rehearsal. But I... I I was reminded as you were talking about those playing along with the recording, sure. uh, practicing the cueing, yep. recording yourself, practicing different contingencies. Um, I think all those things go into it, but that's sort of my, my process. Um, yeah. What about I, yours? Yeah. Well, I, I love that. The, um, th I think the most important thing that is also the most difficult thing for me when I'm playing chamber music is to know uh to know what everyone is doing well enough that i can sing the composite of the ensemble while i play my part mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i can know that okay if there's something on a and i don't have to be super perfect with my intonation and i'm not solfeging all these parts or anything um if i'm playing in unison with somebody that's helpful to know but the mm -hmm. uh uh but just knowing kind of rhythmic ideas of what the ensemble's dealing with uh, are very, very helpful. And I'll write those in, but then also I'm singing that through as I play my part. And then part of the flexibility training that I'll do is to 
try to inflect those rhythms in some way as I sing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that person's going to do, but so I just try to do it different as many times as I possibly can, can do. And then, you know, fit in my part as that, as that happens. Even if you have a constant 16th note part and you think, well, everyone should be listening to me. Should is the operative, uh, word for failure there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, yeah, so I'll, I'll try to, you know, how can I be expressive with these 16th notes to track a flute line or something, um, without it making, making it sound forced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something that you just brought up that, uh, I think is so vital is the ability not only to know orally what's going to be happening around you at any given point, but also to be comfortable enough with your part that you can look away from your music, uh, away from your instrument to someone else in the group Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and know that like, okay, I understand that, uh, that the, like if I'm playing in a, in a percussion quartet or something, you know, we, we usually do the non-audience friendly, um, setup of box, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, where we're all, we're like, nobody's facing an audience member. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. uh but the the it's helpful to be able to see that and so you know getting a, a chance to know that okay we have to align on this thing i can recognize from my experience and the score that this is going to be a difficult thing so even in that first rehearsal why can't you get out of this uh of the score and look around and help cue people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh I, i'm reminded of one of my like favorite musical moments is the very first Neefnorf summer festival that we did. This is two Andy Bliss things in one, one cast. Um, the very first Neefnorf Summer Festival that we did at Furman University, we had just an all-star cast of participants that year, mm-hmm. and one of the participants was Sean Connors, the mm-hmm. amazing Sean Connors from Third Coast Percussion, and he had uh, uh, he was playing this Alex Lunsky piece and called she and the this amazing trio he showed up in that first rehearsal and i don't even know if he looked at his part in the first rehearsal he was completely engaged with the other two players Mm -hmm. and showing and cueing and working with them and it really was ballet in that first rehearsal and so now i know that you know a little bit of the joy that that everyone feels in that third coast group working with everyone in that group who does, who can play chamber music in that way in that first rehearsal. And if you're able to get out of your part in that first rehearsal and, and cue and send a glance to somebody else, then that starts to, uh, starts to become habit and it it infuses the group with a sense of camaraderie and, and and, uh, cohesion and you're, uh, you're all there together. But yeah, it takes yeah. so much more time to prep that way. It does, but I would say in the long term, it's a great investment. Because yeah. if you can prepare a single piece of music that way, I think you can prepare a lot of pieces of music that way because you get in the habit. I mean, let's be honest, when we play percussion, sometimes our parts in a chamber music piece are more difficult than in a 19th century chamber music piece in terms of just the the, the floor of execution or I have to build something to be able to do this. And so if you get in the habit of, of just playing that way or existing that way musically, it can be really helpful. I mean, for, for your, for your long-term musical health. And it kind of goes along with something that I think 
both of us try to do in our teaching, which is to encourage people not to think of musicianship as like uh, something to be added at the end, like the whipped right. cream on something, but it's actually the essential ingredient. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't call musicianship a separable part of playing our instrument. It's kind of like yeah. the most essential thing. And so if I would say that playing that way is, is kind of an essential part of existing, uh, at least in a kind of classical music space. Something sure. that you you said kind of popped out too w w about preparation. That's kind of like a a no brainer. Another no brainer, but maybe a partial brainer is mm -hmm. when are you going to prepare? Um, I I remember having some mentors that were always ready two months before the first rehearsal if it's a mm. significant piece. Yeah. Or are you the kind of person that is? Uh, my my teacher Bob Van Sice would always say, "Don't learn notes while you're loading the truck." Um, so, <laughs> you know, are you the kind of person that's last minute with this or are you the kind of person that's, that's, um, that's, that needs to be ready really, really, really early. So, so material can, can marinate. That's something else to keep track of. I, I mean, one thing that also uh, jumped to mind, I guess that's two things is sort of, if you're developing this skill, you kind of have to figure out which of these techniques works for you and you can sort of develop experiments on yourself where you're, maybe you'll test it. Maybe this time I'll try to be ready really, really, really early. Or maybe this time I'm going to try to mark X, Y, Z in my part. Or maybe this time I'm going to try to to see what I can bring in this way or this other way. Um, because it, it does seem like if you just do what somebody else tells you to do, that it may not be the preparation that's ideal for you. And based on what you said, it seems like your preparation is tied kind of to your temperament. Um, mm. in as much as it is to sort of what you need to be able to do, um, yeah. to, to play, I think. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I, I think it's, if you think about the, the like kind of trajectory of, of how we, how we learn something, I think a lot of people feel like they're done with the learning process when they can play it through. Mm -hmm. And really like, if you think about what happens after you can play it all the way through what happens if you can play it one way like mm -hmm. then if you keep going down that that timeline and you keep working essentially like what sh what will happen hopefully and what should happen is that you can like look being able to play it one way is a very important milestone but you should be able to play it anyway mm-hmm so like if you want to think about, okay, I need to learn this for a rehearsal. I know that rehearsal is, uh, you know, three weeks away or something, then you might be tight in those three weeks to try to, to try to make sure that you can play it more than one way. Mm -hmm. However, if you have something that's coming up, that's, you know, booked in advance, then I would hope that that we would get to a point where we could play it, um, play it one way and then take a, take a little bit of time off and then come back to it and then, uh, let it organically marinate in our, our psyche. But mm. for me, I always try to front load everything. I, mm -hmm. cause I don't know what the schedule is going to be like right before the rehearsal. Um, I love Bob's sentiment. That's hilarious and perfect, but you don't want to, you don't want to like risk the fact that you could 
maybe have another great opportunity or something else comes up or whatever. And then you're strapped for time and you don't have time to learn that. You don't have time to memorize that concerto. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if that's the expectation of the ensemble, even if you can come and crush it, but you don't, you don't have it memorized. That was rule number one. And that takes mm -hmm. the most amount of time. So, so hopefully you learn something early enough that you can set it aside, come back to it, let it set, come back to it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. multiple times. Yeah, I, I hope so. I get uh, something else that came to mind, um, is sort of preparation. I guess preparation has the prefix pre, which kind of means before, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of befores, you know, and then there's <laughs> preparation you can do after the first time before yeah. the second time, Yeah, you know, like if you, uh, if you get in there and you discover, Oh, I think I, I want to do this this way. Mm -hmm. You can definitely work on it before the next time you have to be there. Or if you think, oh, I, I need to add this extra page of music to my part. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I need to bring another pair of, of mallets or something. I think preparation is not is continuous. You know, it's not um it's not a one-time checkbox. Definitely. And if, if, if the the negotiation and collaboration with a conductor or um a first violinist or something is an ongoing mm -hmm. process. But in that first rehearsal, a lot of folks have a good idea of what they want to do with the piece. Mm -hmm. um, so so they'll come through and they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to conduct this pattern. I'm going to um, take time here. And that that's a lot of what that first rehearsal is. Uh, so you can actually prep that in that second rehearsal and say, okay, well, I, if I know they're going to start this retard two bars early, let me practice that to make sure I can help with making it the most organic retard possible mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or something like that. So you can, you can start to, you know, take that. I can play it anyway, and then start to f file it down and, you know, really smooth over the edges and say, okay, I can, I want to play it that person's way um, mm -hmm. or our way. Mm -hmm, and that, mm -hmm. and that's just going to be a this time thing, but yeah, that really helps. Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess something else not to sleep on is, um, and this is kind of out of character for me, which is just like technical development. Yeah. You know, um, you don't want playing the piece to occupy 100% of your mental energy. If right. the speed at which you can play the part is the maximum speed you can move your hands, or <laughs> if the softness you need to play is the softest you can play, that is going to go wrong at some yeah. moment. Don't you think? I mean, oh. I think when, when we get nervous, it's usually manifested physically yeah. and that's how we also play our instruments. <laughs> and so if you shake when you're nervous mm -hmm. and you're relying on not shaking, yeah. that's kind of a problem. So I think just feeling like you have a physical mastery of these things. And for us, oftentimes that's, that ends up with weird, you're, you're spending time practicing something that's a little out of the ordinary in, in yeah. some way. But in some other times, I mean, orchestral musicians are great at this. They prepare for, for concerts by just like practicing their instrument. Um, <laughs> right scales arpeggios yeah technical stuff like patterns. that yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah i think that's that's great and you know it's a it, it's different for different contexts of course and i think for you and i who are used to a professional setting mm -hmm. where you have uh maybe let's say three rehearsals or something and a concert mm -hmm. uh versus a, a university student that has maybe 25 rehearsals and then a concert. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, honestly, not to be on the soapbox here, but I think we do a disservice to our students um, by having 25 rehearsals on the same pieces uh, for a concert. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think it helps. It helps motivate people to be uh, prepared for that first rehearsal. Mm. Right. Because I, I I personally wouldn't want to spend 10 or 12 hours practicing for that first rehearsal if I know that nobody else in the group is going to be prepared and then we're going to have another uh, 25 hours of rehearsal on this piece before we perform it. And really, I only need like 10 hours. So Mm -hmm. why can't I I just learn this piece in rehearsal? And I know we talked about that earlier, but I, I feel like one thing that could happen is we could be a little bit more professional with the way that we manage these large ensembles in um in a collegiate setting and i don't know did yale do uh what was your rehearsal cycle like at well i was about to go point counterpoint with you on this which is i totally agree yeah but i do think there's value um in going deep into a piece of music because sure I think when you're a student, something you need to experience, and as a professional too, is the feeling of of absolutely playing at the peak of your abilities in a performance and that the performance went amazingly well. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm jealous of people that played in drum chorus because you, you feel that, right? Like this yeah. notion of, wow, we really did it. And I played my part as well as I could have. Um, and then we operated as a unit as well as we could have. And I think quite honestly, in college, a lot of percussionists don't have that feeling in a chamber music setting. Um, and so I was really, um, so I I think that's something that, that could happen. And if that happens in 10 rehearsals, great. If that happens in a solo piece, great. So I don't think it's tenable to, to rehearse the way that we did at Yale at every university because, I think it would drive you batty. And in terms of like an economic standpoint, it's definitely not what you are paying for on a one credit (laughs) class or something like that. But what we did at Yale was we would spend the whole year preparing one concert. Mm -hmm. And so every week we probably rehearsed 20 hours, 25 hours. Mm. Um, The thing that was marvelous and that inspired me about my my classmates and my colleagues was the amount of preparation that went in to those rehearsals. So yeah, yeah, we were learning the pieces together and preparing for the coachings together, but we were also practicing our parts as well as we could, because I think as a, as a group, something I was going to add before, but I didn't want to interrupt you was you're only as prepared as the least prepared person. Yep. Um, and that can add to that feeling of resentment that you were just describing. So for someone like me, that was perhaps definitely not the strongest musician of my class. The seeing how other, the level other people were bringing inspired me to, to try to prepare to that level, mm-hmm. which kind of imbues you with a little bit of humility. You know, mm-hmm. like if, if you're in the gym and you see somebody lifting 800 pounds, I know that's not a real amount, but like 800 pounds <laughs> and you go, well, I can do that too. Well, maybe you can't. And so maybe your preparation to lift that weight is different than somebody else's. But the way we did it is that we would rehearse a lot and we yeah. were lucky to have a teacher that pushed us that would say um, in the coachings, our teacher would bring more energy and more ideas than I'd ever 
experienced in my life. And it would inspire you not in a sort of critical way, I mean, a sort of uh, mean way, but in a positive way to think, oh, actually, I can go much deeper into this. Mm. And although we played a lot less music than I might have if I were at another school, I feel like learning a single piece of music as deeply as I felt that we did and we were fortunate to do gave me insight into sort of the thought of how could I prepare any piece of music? That's mm -hmm. what I could sound like. Wow. Or that's what I could, that's the level to which I could communicate with somebody. Dang, that's amazing. And so, you know, uh, our teacher, Bob, would always say that the concert was not really that important. Maybe he didn't always say that, maybe four or five times he said that. <laughs> but um, it's true, like the hundreds of hours that we put into that was was really was really the journey. And of course, that's a, a professional problem because you're never going to have that again. But it, the notion to me of, like I just said, this is the level that I am capable of playing. And I need to find a way to do that in three rehearsals mm -hmm. eventually. Really, really, really inspired me. And the times when I'm not able to do that, I feel it. I feel, oh, no, that's that's not the way I could have done this. Yeah. And so I, I think that has its benefits. I, like I said, I don't think it's possible at every university. And I don't think it's possible at every school of music. But um, sometimes it's the provenance of a summer festival, maybe. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's your own personal project but that that's how we did it and i know there are a lot of schools that operate in the inverse way like you were just saying where it's hyper professionalized um but i i like i said i was really fond of this system and it had the added benefit of people would sort of hear about how crazily you were rehearsing you know yeah. in in a small school like like the yale school of music people would be like what are you doing down there because um, we were rehearsing this basement, right? Yeah. Like, we're, you're there all the time, aren't you? Like, And so when the concert would come around, a lot of people would show up because you're thinking, these people have been doing this all year. I got to see what's going on. <laughs> and, and, and that had the benefit of sort of giving you that experience of a really high pressure situation. Maybe you felt this way where you've been, you've been working on something, working on something, and then maybe you step on stage and you say wow, there are a lot more people here than I thought there would be. <laughs> yeah. Or this person is really close to me. Yeah. Or um, the lights are so are so crazy. So I liked that approach. And the music I was fortunate to learn with that group yeah. of people, with that cohort of people, I feel like I really know. And it was music that, at least in the kind of world I exist, is is transferable. The, the communication strategies yeah. are transferable. Like the, the way that you could play is something. Of course, there are myriad problems with this, and I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to take those off air. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I think that that's approaching a long-term rehearsal cycle, the way that your approach that you approached it, I think is is beautiful and exactly the way to milk the the marrow out of that experience. Um, because if number one, if if you if you're prepared for that first rehearsal and you prepare in between every rehearsal, then yeah, that's going to prepare you the most for your professional settings. Um, and why can't you be the person who's the most prepared in the room every single time? And then that can 
maybe over the course of uh, of a few rehearsals or uh, even a few semesters, like drive the level of preparation of the entire group up because everyone notices that like, oh, well, this is the level that we really should be at, we could be at. Um, and and having somebody who's who's thoughtful and so knowledgeable like Bob is um, and can guide a group of people through a marathon of of rehearsals is um, is beautiful. And so if I mean, I think if every large ensemble conductor if, of every college in the country was a Bob Van Sice, we would be talking a totally different game. But I feel like the the students will um, occasionally like just die out, you know, after oh, yeah. four or five. No, rehearsals. I mean, if, if you look at the schedule and and you you have to play a concert of Sousa marches and you see we have 48 rehearsals for it, <laughs> you're probably not going to bring your A game. I mean, I like basketball. Yeah. And there's a notable difference between the regular season of the NBA and the playoffs, right? You right. Sort of, I didn't know that person could move that fast. Yeah. <laughs> or I didn't know that person could play defense. And they so I totally defense. I could to- I totally agree with you. And yeah. I think, you know, we're we're talking about I think we we're in concordance that, that Absolutely. um Yeah, I, I would say just just too that that this is something that I learned most effectively from of course coaches but also my friends and my mm-hmm. musical collaborators because uh be they performers or or composers i, I mean the most joy i have playing uh, other than playing with you is <laughs> um is playing with my duo partner Hannah and yeah. you know the first couple of rehearsals we had together um i was i was sort of embarrassed oh this person really knows what i'm supposed to be doing and yeah. she's so nice she's not saying anything about it and she is taking care of her part and she is really, really, really prepared for yeah. this. And I, I kind of want to do that too. And, <laughs> and sure. I think it's it's great when you're in a situation where you sort of agree, this is how we want to take on this kind of piece of music. And yeah. I think for, for students, I, I've seen this with my students, I hear about with other students, when you're in a situation where not everybody in the group has that same level of commitment or you've been assigned to something or, I mean, I don't know your stance on university projects or group projects. Mm-hmm. I don't like group projects because <laughs> there's always somebody who is not doing anything. Oh, sure. Or there's always somebody who, who will just do everything. And so you just yep. go, whatever, I got yep. it. Um, and so I, th- I think I totally agree with you that it really, it really depends. And maybe something the two of us can do as teachers is to try not to let that happen. You know, if you have a group of people that, that you think deserve that kind of professional approach to give it to them. And if you have a group of people that you think, Oh, they really need a training camp to give it to them. Because otherwise, like, like we talked about on another episode, you sort of, well, maybe we didn't talk about this. I hope we did was to, you might turn people off and drive them away um, from something. So yeah, I, 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 t- I totally agree. Yep. Uh, yeah, I've, I've started to uh, to have one concert every year that I program that we do in two weeks of wow. preparation. So we mm. have five concerts a year, um, and the, um, the middle concert, the first concert of second semester, we start the semester by rehearsing end-of-semester music for, for a couple weeks, and then uh, two weeks before the concert, we we start practicing it because I, I felt like everybody needs 
um, need some experience and what it means to like put something together in uh, somewhere between two and four rehearsals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's spread out over the course of four weeks right because of the schedule of the semester but uh yeah four rehearsals plus a dress and i'm picking repertoire that i i know can be done in that amount of time i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not trying to put persifasa together in four rehearsals but the uh uh but i do feel like we need that experience of uh of the professional life yeah and it also helps with repertoire knowledge I think for me, yeah. one thing that, that, that I think about a lot as a, as a teacher and musician and also as a nerd is that <laughs> there is a direct correlation between your acumen and virtuosity and interpretive ideas as a, as a musician. There's a direct link between that and the amount of music you have heard and know. Yeah. Don't you think? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm happy to answer any uh, podcast comments that don't agree with this, but so to a certain extent, you actually have to play more music and yep. a challenge, you know, I had in school was that we just weren't playing that much music. Um, sure. you know, we would play three pieces, yep. um, versus I'm going to get through 40 or 50 pieces during this time. So I, I agree that that that's something that's, that can be really, really helpful. I also like to tackle this with guests. So mm. if I have a guest coming, if fortunate, if we're fortunate to have a guest come play with, with my group, to say, okay, this guest is coming for this amount of time. So we got to prepare in such a way that um, we're ready for, yep. for this kind of thing. And I think um, it, it's something that I need definitely needs to be part of our, of our um, curricula, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. If that matters. And, you know, I mean, undergrad versus grad is probably different, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Oh, so I, if I had to sum up what we talked about, it's preparing for rehearsals equals being ready. Sweet. <laughs> Maybe we should have started with that. I mean, there's another element of it, which is like, uh, what do you write in your music, if anything? Or how do you prepare your music? Which I, I think we're going to talk about yep. uh, at a different time, because th- this felt very conceptual. You know, yep. what are some things you can do? I like to give my students, a lot of options, 50 options. And maybe this time you use three, or maybe this time you use four of them. But I think when we talk about writing in our music, that's kind of a little more specific, right? Like here are some things that you maybe don't know that Mm -hmm. here's what somebody else did. It was really illuminating to me in school when my teacher uh, who studied with Cloyd Duff, the timpanist, gave me some parts that Mr. Duff had written on. I had never seen that kind of marking before or when I was working with Ensemble Moderne, how their percussionist wrote how to change Mm. mallets in the part. I remember going, oh, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. (laughs) So um, there's a part of this which is sort of preparing your music for optimum optimum success. But that's kind of a of a topic for for another time. What are we forgetting? I have a feeling as soon as we stop recording, we're going to. We're going to remember something. Yeah, but but honestly, like when it comes down to it, like we're just two hens in the hen house, like scolding everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but everyone knows if you're if you're prepared or not. Right. Like mm-hmm. the youngest players don't know. And you you learn very quickly why you prepare and what it feels like when you're prepared. And I think if you walk into a situation, whether it be a like a, a lecture that you have to give or a talk you have to give or a meeting you have to run or 
you're a group project or something and you're responsible for a part, if you show up and you're truly prepared, that's that's enough motivating juice for a year. Oh, yeah. You know, like to feel that confidence of like, I'm able to get out of the thought process. I'm not bitter about anything because I, I fulfilled something and I put a lot of work and I care about something. And here, let me show you what I care about and hear your thoughts. Like if you do that once, that's enough to oh, have yeah. to do it again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, this, I think this applies like, like we've been sort of saying, but just to say it more concretely, this applies in everything. Yeah. You know, I, and, and sometimes you have to take a really idiosyncratic process. Like for me to be prepared to take a test in college, I was a history major. So to, to mm-hmm. take a history test, I had to prepare in a really specific way so that I could remember things and write them in a, in the way that I wanted to. Oh, or, yeah. you know, I remember the first, one of the first jobs I got at Cornell university, I had to teach this A-way dance drumming class. And sure. so I would prepare by studying the drumming and then I would study the text of the songs and stuff. And then I remember class number one, I had just driven from taking a lesson about what I was going to teach in class number one, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> and we're in class, you know, we're doing the drumming and I'm going, this is going pretty well. You know, the drumming, it's coming along. I know how to answer the rhythm questions. Somebody raises their hand and they go, what does this word mean in English? And I remember thinking, I don't Uh-oh. know. <laughs> Uh-oh. The jig is up. So uh, yeah, I, I agree that the, those kind of, uh, reverse preparation experiences stick out enough. Sure. So the opposite of what you said, that feeling of being, I am ready. I am ready for this. And also the idea of, I was really not ready for that. And I hope yep. that doesn't, I hope that doesn't happen again. And I know we all have those, we have those experiences <laughs> and I think we can, we can learn from them instead of just being scared about right. them. Um, yeah. Well, amazing. Well, hopefully, hopefully this is, uh, helpful for anybody who's chosen to get through the entire podcast here. Mike, Mike's cast, Mike's cast, Mike's cast, whatever <laughs> number, whatever number it is. Yeah. I mean, I hope that, that, um, I think of preparation as, you know, one of the parts of, of learning anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really is worth your time to get better at it. Um, yeah, agreed. and so cool. I can't think of a concluding thing to say. I feel like we concluded it. We didn't prepare a conclusion. I think next time we should do it like a, like a humanities lecture where we've written out exactly what we want to say. Right. Um, that's we preparation. Could... Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or, or, uh, like a, what, like the Christopher Nolan movie or something like the end is at the beginning and then. Yeah. If we do that, we're going to need closed captions of some kind. Cause I could not hear what people were saying in tenant. Maybe this is another soapbox, but I, I, after the first time I saw that movie, I called or I texted Evan Chapman and Kevin Eichenberg from 410 media. And I said, is this a thing that I cannot hear what people are saying in this movie? And then it turns out this is like an ongoing cultural trope. That's like kind of hard hard to hear things yeah um yeah anyway that's a sidebar about christopher nolan movie so then i saw tenet again with a closed captioning device and it was so different i had no idea that that character was a good guy (laughs) what was this person saying 
<laughs> yeah. Wait, why are aren't you fighting yourself? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> stop hitting yourself. He was fighting himself, wasn't he? <laughs> and why was there a saxophone in that opera orchestra? Yeah, uh, that was not. And, and why was the bass in the front? Bass was in the front. Opera orchestra was on stage. No place for action. There was no opera. There's no opera, folks. Yeah, yeah. The jig is up. Yeah, that's no wonder they all got gassed. See, yeah. that's preparation. Someone is going to ask at some point uh, about the some some part in that. <laughs> I, I mean, another preparation thing is. You know, the filmmaker Wes Anderson. Sure. Uh, he, he, he's pretty prepared for his movies in terms of set dressing. Seems right? like it. And there's a, in the movie Grand Budapest Hotel, mm. there is a cake making company. Sure. And it turns out, I think, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, that in the filming of the movie, they, they physically made all these things, but they spelled the name of the bakery wrong on all the boxes. So they had to go into post-production uh, in post-production. They had to go in and change the name of these Whoa. boxes. So uh, no preparations. Thanks. Preparation is pretty important. Yeah. Spell yeah. the bakery, right? Yeah. Um, well, okay. That's another, uh, <laughs> that's another, uh, mic cast for y'all uh, out there. And we hope that you enjoyed it and stay tuned for more, uh, more casts from, from Mike job podcast. Yeah, see you next time.